Hey, Westside family, Jake Gilbert here, one of the leaders in charge of our media department. Thanks for joining us for today's message. We hope you are blessed by what God has been speaking to us through our pastors and leaders, and we pray this leads you into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus. We love you guys, and enjoy. We're going to talk about hindrances. Uh, For the last few weeks, we've been discussing the gifts, gifts of God, gifts of the Son, gifts of the Holy Spirit. We went from that into us being priests. Uh, God has called us to be a kingdom of priests, have different levels of priests. Jesus, the high priest, the Levitical priest, which is another type of high priest. And then we have the kingdom or a people of priests. That is us. And just for the record, on Wednesdays, this past Wednesdays, we have, we have begun a series that, that we dive deeper into the priesthood. We dive deeper into what it means to be a people of the priest. And we've been, we started digging into the Old Testament priest where it really begins. I'm using the Bible Project to help me uh, teach that. Uh, but this past Wednesday was very interesting. It paralleled how, in our reality, God established a priesthood in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. And then we paralleled that with the Levitical priest. Uh, works that you find in the Old Testament. And so we're going to dive a little bit deeper uh, this coming Wednesday. No, we got worship night this Wednesday, don't we? So uh, we're going to do what priests do. We're going to worship Jesus this Wednesday. Uh, So anyway, it would be great if you can come out or you can look at it on the podcast on Wednesdays. But this today, we're going to be talking about hindrances. Because if if there's one truth, whenever you sit out, to walk with God, to be used by God, to consider yourself with a higher responsibility than just an average person who comes to church and sits on a pew. In other words, you embrace the reality that God uh, has saved you, not just to go to heaven, but God has saved you to be a priest. That when you embrace that reality, we have to realize that the, the devil, he's real, Satan is real, And he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. And he will use any and everything that he possibly can in our life to hinder the gifts that we discuss, the gifts of God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, to hinder our our efforts, our work, our purpose as priests. And we we need to be cognizant. We need to be aware. And we need to be willing to deal with hindrances uh, in our life. And so that's what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to talk about uh, hindrances uh, that we deal with in life. Now, in all reality, in the context of hindrances that I'm going to be talking, another word for that is sin. Sin isn't a popular word nowadays uh, for various reasons, but I didn't want to approach it in that terminology, I want to approach it from the terminology in the, in the context of hindrances. Now, when I was, I was raised in church, and back in the day when old school preachers began to preach about sin, there was also always an association with hell. And it's like, if you're sinning, you're going to hell. And uh, there was this 
I don't know, for lack of better terms, there was this uh, pulpit technique to try to scare people out of hell into heaven. If you're doing A, B, and C, you're going to hell. If you did this on Friday night, you're going to hell. If you do this or don't do this, you're going to hell. And it was all this hell, 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 hell. And if you were open to God or if you were a kid and you was a bit innocent, some of those sermons did scare the hell out of you to be, to be straight up with you. At the end of those messages, man, you was down in this altar. Now, the next day, you still might be living like the devil, but for that moment, you're like, I don't want to go to hell. They would show the movies. You know, they had these series of movies called Mark of the Beast, and the, the movies... Uh, was super cheesy, super generic. We would laugh at it today, but man, in the movies, they was like, if you get left behind, you're going to get your head cut off, and if you get the mark of the beast, you know, all this crazy stuff. And again, at the end of those movies, I remember movie nights, and that was the movie at church on Sunday nights, and at the end of that movie, guess what? The whole altar was filled because you got the hell scared out of you. I'm not saying that in a cursing form. I'm being literal this morning, so don't be all offended. But just for the record, I do want to say this. Uh, that I, I, I'm glad to say my parents didn't do that. I was raised uh, a, a, a bit differently, even though I was raised traditionally. I was raised very morally, and I was raised in Pentecostal traditions. I appreciate the fact that my parents didn't preach hellfire and brimstone. But I saw it, I witnessed it, I was a part of it at times, not doing it, but getting the hell scared out of me at times. But that's not where I'm going with today. I, I want us to look at it differently. I don't want to scare hell out of you. I want to give you a reality. I want us to talk about a reality of what certain choices and certain things really do to us. And that reality is, is the word hindrances. The reality is if we don't obey God, if we don't do what his word tells us to do, if we consistently find ourselves falling, and you don't have to fall. The Bible says we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. And you know the real context of that verse, if you was to understand the full context of it, is, it's not a power verse so that we can do whatever we want to do. Even though it's applicable, you can apply that. The context of that verse is really overcoming sin. The context of that verse is we can overcome all hindrances in our life through Jesus Christ. That's the context of that verse. And so today we're going to be talking about uh, these hindrances. I do want to say this, though. I am not, I, I, I just don't, like, like, I don't throw the baby out with the bath water. I, I don't really agree with the technique of, of preaching hellfire and brimstone. I really, I really don't do that. What we do have to realize is there is some truth associated with sin and hell. I, I, I do want to make that clear. Uh, it's, and it's through Scripture uh, let me just give you a few examples, because I don't want you to think that, that I have a mindset that you can just do whatever, and then you're safe to go to heaven. I, 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 don't, I don't judge people to hell. That's, I'm not God. 
But I also will say, will, will, will say this, I just don't send everybody to heaven either. Because there is some truth associated with sinning and your t- eternal outcome. A, pro- a, a few just quick examples is the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus and said, what must I do to have eternal life? And if you begin to look at what Jesus, Jesus answered him in the context of what he must do to have eternal life. Jesus didn't complete the, uh, the list, but Jesus basically began to quote or begin to list out the Ten Commandments. The rich young ruler interrupted him and said, well, I've done all these. And Jesus said, if you really want to be perfect, then you need to sell everything you have and follow me. So just right there in that scripture, you see a couple of things. Number one is you see different levels of faith. But what we really see is how the Ten Commandments definitely do lead to eternal life. So if Jesus told the rich young ruler that the Ten Commandments is going to lead him to eternal life, then in my mindset, disobedience to the Ten Commandments could lead someone to eternal damnation as well. Another example is in Galatians 5. Galatians 5 has a a, a list, I think it's about 16 acts of the flesh, which is acts of sin. And at the end of this list, it says, if you practice these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's another example. Jesus was saying what it's going to be one day. And he says, there's going to be people that comes to me. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not healed the sick in your name? And the Bible says Jesus is going to turn to them and he's going to say to them, Depart from me, I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Now these are church people. Because they came to him saying, Lord, Lord, and they've done all these quote, Christian things to do, but yet something was not right in their heart and in their choices because they were workers of evil. Some version says iniquity, some version says evil. So please hear me in this. There is some truth associated with sin and us going to hell. Is it okay for me to say that to you this morning? Without you thinking I'm judging you or sending you to hell. We ha- I have to say that because it's scriptural. But that's not where I'm coming from today. Where I'm coming from is hindrances. So there is quite a few experiences in scripture pertaining to uh, God's people doing, a few, doing some things and how it totally hindered their life. Now in this context, what I'm wanting us to realize is... Number one, the gifts. There are certain choices and certain actions in our life that will 100% hinder the gifts of God for you. The gifts of the Father can be hindered. The gifts of the Son can be hindered. And the gifts of the Spirit can be hindered. Walking as a priest before the Lord can be hindered. You being blessed by the totality of God's will for your life can be hindered. God's grace is abundant, but there is an overlying principle from beginning to end in Scripture. 
And that is a very simple phrase. You reap what you sow. So if we are sowing a life that is in opposite of God's word, just let's, let's just be honest here. Do we honestly think, do we honestly think we're going to receive the totality of God's blessings and God's promises for us here on earth? If you think that, then you got something loose in your head. And there is an absolute misunderstanding of Scripture that you have in your heart. Adam and Eve made a choice that kicked them out of the garden. Cain made a choice that isolated him from humanity and put a mark on, his, put a mark on him where he was recognized as the first murderer. Noah got drunk. His son saw him naked. Some people believe that it wasn't just a sight of him naked, but his son actually sexually violated him, and it put a curse on his son and his son's family and generations forever. A choice. David committed adultery. There was a birth out of that intimacy. That child died because there was a curse, a hindrance upon his life because of David's choices. Abraham almost lost his wife because he wasn't man enough to say to a king through a land in which he was passing through that this is my wife. So he said, this is my sister, because as a coward, he did not want to die. And the, she was beautiful. Sarah was beautiful, the Bible says. That king almost took her as his own wife. And then the king found out, and the king was like, why have you done this? You could have given my whole people, my, all my kingdom of curse. Choices. Go to Peter. Peter made a choice to deny Christ. He had to deal with that stigma. He had to deal with the, with the internal turmoil. He had to deal with the disconnect. And now he, has, or he had a reputation forever that he denied Christ. Ananias and Sapphira, they simply lied, the Bible says, to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And guess what? They fell over dead. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on with biblical examples that wrong choices create hindrances in our life when it comes to the blessings, when it comes to the power, when it comes to what God wants to do for us. Now, am I saying those are going to send you to hell? I'm not saying that, but I'm not saying they won't either. That's, that's between you and God. I do think you're walking on thin ice, and boy, you are taking, you are, you're more of a risk taker than I've ever been. So let's, instead of me breaking down specific sins, I want us to look at categories of sins. There's three categories of sins. Every single hindrance, every single sin in the Bible can be placed under one of three categories. Number one, we have the lust of the flesh. Number two, we have the lust of the eyes. Number three, we have the pride of life. You see how Jesus, when he was tempted three times in the wilderness, right before he started his ministry, he was tempted with these three things. Adam and Eve, 
when they were tempted by the serpent to eat the forbidden fruit, they were tempted with these three things. So today we're going to look at these three things, and real briefly we're going to see where they were at in Jesus' temptation and where they were at with Adam and Eve's temptation. So we can have an understanding of how the enemy comes against us to hinder us. Can you look at somebody and say, the enemy wants to hinder you? Come on, wake up this morning, look at someone, say, the enemy wants to hinder you. So let's go to slide number two. The lust of the flesh. What is the lust of the flesh? Rebellion to the will and the ways of God. Uncontrolled human appetite. Driven desires for what is forbidden. This is the lust of the flesh. Now when Jesus was first tempted... He was tempted to turn bread or turn a stone into bread. The Bible's right before that temptation, the Bible says that he was hungry. In other words, he wanted some bread. He had a desire. And then the enemy came to him and was like, hey, if you are who you say you are, then why don't you take this stone and turn it to bread? The devil knew his desires. Oftentimes, the lust of the flesh has to do with a natural tendency that we have. This can be a normal tendency, like sexuality is a normal tendency. It's humane. God created, God-given, God-established. The problem is the enemy takes that normal and natural desire for sexuality and he tries to establish a wrong way of exercising our sexual appetites. Sexual appetites are intended to function within a marriage, not a couple that is not married. That was God's perfect will, God's original plan. You can see Two different examples that that desire is natural. Can you say natural? But the enemy will come in and try to create a response from us that moves beyond the natural tendencies that God has established in our lives. Desires for materialism is natural, but they can be perverted. Right? Our desire for food is natural, but can be perverted. Our natural tendency to get mad at times is natural, but can be perverted. So when we're talking about the lust of the flesh, it's very, and I can't emphasize this enough, it's very important that you and I I recognize that the enemy will try to take a natural desire and turn it into a lust. A lust is different than a natural desire. A lust is an animalistic desire that goes beyond natural tendencies or natural functions according to how we're created. 
You know that, right? Lust is different than desire. Lust is desire on steroids. It gets you thinking different. It gets you acting different. It gets you wanting different. You're lusting. You are heavily desiring. It's not just a natural desire. It goes beyond that. And so the lust of the flesh is is and can be a desire that comes from your normal being, but yet it's in overdrive and it's operating in a way that God has not intended it to operate. Makes sense. Adam and Eve. The devil portrayed the fruit as something that would be satisfying and appetizing to their flesh, to their nature. Now what's interesting, oftentimes, what the devil tries to tempt us with is what God has already given us. But yet it's in a different context. So Adam and Eve was already given every single tree, every single plant that bore seeds, every single fruit of the garden except for one. And the enemy came in and he jumped on that one. He didn't talk about all the other fruits. He talked about the one. And what you see is that God had already blessed them with any and everything that they could want, but the enemy tried to deceive them by the one thing that they did not need. And oftentimes, the enemy does not tempt you with what you already have. The enemy tempts you by getting you to think you need something when you really don't need it. You don't need another woman when you got a wife. You don't need another man when you got a husband. Can I say, can I get an amen? But at the same time, A lust of the flesh can be a desire for what is absolutely wrong. Sometimes our sinful nature kicks in. And usually the the enemy starts working in the mind. It's thoughts that creates a possibility. A possibility creates an opportunity. And an opportunity creates a hindrance. So that's the lust of the flesh. Let's go on to number two. So we have the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes occurs when we see something visually that incites covetousness, jealousy, or sexual lust. How did this happen with Jesus? Jesus was tempted in the case that he was offered all the kingdoms, he was offered all the cities, all the wealth, everything of the world, if he would just bow down and worship Satan. Now think about it. The enemy put a visual in his mind. The enemy did not tempt him with something that was right in front of him, the flesh. The enemy tempted him with something he caused him to see. And for Jesus... It was something in the sight of the mind 
I will give you all the wealth. I will give you all the cities. I will give you all this of the world if you just bow down and worship me. Now, oftentimes, we are hindered by our thoughts first and foremost. Why does Paul in the New Testament say, renew your mind daily? Because daily the enemy tries to get our mind's eye or could be our physical eyes depending on what location we are at or where we're at. He tries to get us to see something that we don't need to be seeing. He tries to get us to look at something in a way that we don't need to be looking at at it. Like it's okay to admire that maybe your neighbor has a nicer home than you. It's okay to admire that. It's okay to see that. You're like, cool. It's okay to see that maybe your, your neighbor has a bigger truck or a faster car than you. You see it, but what the enemy tries to get us to do is coveted. Oh, I want that house. I deserve that house. I work just as hard as they work. I am more educated than they are. That should be my house. And that covetousness turns into jealousy. Jealousy can turn into greed, can turn into a lust, not necessarily sexual lust, but can turn into a lust. Again, lust is a desire that goes beyond our nature. So we have to be very mindful and be very careful, not on just what we see, but how we look at what we see. I'll be the first to say, I have a thing for sports cars, and I have a thing for jacked-up diesel trucks. That's my Mississippi country boy coming out of me. The Dukes of Hazard was my jam back in the day. Man, they had that sports car running through country roads every now and then. They'd get a truck, a truck on the scene. You guys remember the fall guy? I'm, I'm telling my age. The fall guy was a stunt dude in the 80s that drove a jacked-up 4x4 truck. I didn't care nothing about the fall guy, but, man, I liked his truck. I'll be the first to say that there are certain things in this world that gets my attention. But I will also be the first to say I purposely have to guard my heart and guard my mind on how I look at what I see. I see pretty ladies. We have attractive ladies in our church. My wife sees handsome men. You better say not much. Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding me? We are going to notice things with our eyes. It's how God created us. But how we look at what we see changes everything. Because I guarantee you, you will not catch me staring at another woman. Looking her up and down like she's, some, like she's an object. Now let my wife walk across the floor in front of me. Guess what? 
I'm going to break my freaking neck. <laughs> That's my right, baby. That's my territory, and I have sacrificed my life for that. So, You understand what I'm saying? If I was to do that, whether it be with a female, whether it be with a house, a truck, whatever, can't we, that would like totally hinder me. It would hinder my relationship with people. It would hinder my ability to minister purely. It could even hinder my peace. If I was sitting there and staring at a neighbor's house thinking, man, I, I, I should be in a house like that. There's no peace. There's no rest. Right? just doesn't work that way. I would be hindering myself. Because it's a lust of the eyes. Let's go to number three. The pride of life. The pride of life is the desire in every human being to be his or her own God. Arrogance, self-promotion. Ooh, self-promotion, that is such a big thing uh, nowadays. You guys know what I'm, what I'm talking about, right? Everybody who has a phone has a potential to be a self-promoter in an uncool way. Greed, number two, is when an individual will never acknowledge that they could be wrong. So the pride of life is basically us feel like, us feeling like, hey, it's our life, it's our choice, and we'll do what we want to do regardless, in this context, regardless of God's word, God's will, and God's way. So when, when it comes to Jesus, the devil tempted him uh, about, about uh, falling, falling off the temple, and that angels would pick him up or catch him, and he would be glorified. But it wasn't his time to be glorified. It wasn't the way that God wanted his ministry to start and to be out there. And Jesus denied him, denied himself denied his will to embrace the timing and the will of the Father. It's very important to realize that every single day we could be faced with this. I, I would say this occurs more than the other two. Because every single second of every single day, you and I deal with our own will what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And oftentimes, we're not just working for necessities, we are also working for our will. We have a will for more. We have a will for certain items. We have a will for the future. And if we're not careful, our will can fall under the category of this hindrance the pride of life, because when our will overrides God's will for our life, we've entered into the hindrance or the sin of the pride of life. It wasn't God's will for Adam and Eve to eat this fruit and to have all this extra knowledge. It wasn't in his plan, but they 
felt it necessary that they should have more than they were already given. And they took that upon themselves because it was their life and it was what they needed. Not really. It was more of what they wanted. And they fell into the sin of the pride of life. So we see anything that we're tempted with will fall under one of these three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Now, I'm not going, like I said, I'm not going to list them. Let, let, let me see the next slide. This is the last slide. If, 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 if you want to read and actually fill your heart with a list from the Bible of things that we shouldn't do, Old Testament is Ten Commandments. See, I, I, even though this is Old Testament, I believe it never changes. Why? Because it was written in stone. There's a reason... There's a reason the Ten Commandments was written in stone and the other laws and regulations of the Old Testament was not written in stone for me. So for me, because these was, these was written in stone, they're lifetime. They have nothing to do with Judaism. They have nothing to do with Old Testament. These are lifetime. These are applicable to us today living under grace in the New Testament. Does that make sense? You can't go wrong by knowing and obeying the Ten Commandments, but you can go very wrong by disobeying the Ten Commandments because I personally believe that you are standing on the edge of hell when you disobey the Ten Commandments. The next one is go to Galatians 5. You can just read the whole chapter and give you a, 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 a good... But, but the actual works of the flesh is toward the end of the chapter. It, it has a whole list of things that we as believers as followers of Christ should not allow in our life. They hinder us, they hurt us, and if we practice them, the Bible says we'll, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. So please, go consider these. Go read these. Challenge your heart a little more than I'm doing for you this morning. Now, in closing, let's just real briefly look at some things that could occur if we allowed these hindrances to be a practice some of them, they don't even have to be a practice. Like some hindrances in our life, they really don't take true effect if, if, if you just slip up. You slip up one day. They require a practice, like a consistent uh, doing of them before they really take effect. But then there are others that one time, and you're messed up. Example, adultery, one time. You're messed up, right? Let's say something happens and you lie. Get beyond that, you may or may not be totally affected. But let's say you become a habitual liar. You become a deceiver. Well, the Bible says that no liar shall have their, or will have their part in the lake of fire. So the practice of that ongoing, you can see, has, has issues. So let's look at some outcomes of hindrances. Number one, ongoing family issues. If you want to have family issues, raise your hands if you want to have negative family issues. Well, let me, are you sure? 
Well, just disobey the Ten Commandments and disobey Galatians 5, and guess what? You're going to have major family issues. Absolute dysfunctional family issues. Guaranteed. Another one is missing out on blessing. Guess what? God wants to bless us with peace. God wants to bless us with prosperity. The prosperity message is not a bad message as long as it's spoken within a biblical context. He wants to bless you with prosperity. He wants to bless you with health. That's why he told Israel to eat the way they were to eat in the Old Testament. Did you know if our diet was based off an Old Testament diet, we would eat extremely healthy and we would not near have the the amount of issues physically that we have today in our bodies. God set that up so that his people would be healthy in the wilderness and so that they would be healthy and strong enough to overcome Canaan land when they, when they crossed the Jordan River to take the promise. God wants us to be healthy. God wants you to have good relationships, to be at peace with one another, to be in love with one another, to strengthen and encourage one another. But guess what? When we practice hindrances, might as well throw good healthy relationships out the door it just it, it messes them up godly purpose you want to hinder your purpose you want to stop you want to prevent you want to keep God from using you to your fullest last one, or not the last one, the next last one, is hindrances when practiced has a tendency to change one's heart toward God. I, per- I, 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 I personally, this is me, I don't believe in a backslidden state from people just making a mistake. But I do believe in a backslidden state people practice and live out hindrances because what it does is it changes your heart toward God the Bible says you cannot serve two masters hindrances will become a master and when you have sin as a master it changes you special, different than anybody else. It changes them. And then you have the potential of completely falling away from God, which then puts you in a backslidden state where you don't really view Him. You don't call on Him. You don't walk with Him as your Lord. doesn't mean you don't believe in Him definitely don't have a relationship with them and you stand the chance on the 
me a judgment of him saying, depart from me. I never knew you. Which leads us to the last. Hindrances can lead to a difference in your eternal state. Sin has the potential of leading you to hell. That's just the way it is. Because sin, like I said a second ago, changes everything about you. It changes our minds. It changes our heart. It hinders us. It hinders us from heaven. It hinders us with God. It hinders us in our purpose. It hinders us in blessings. And it hinders us when it comes to our family. That's why the Bible says that says that sin is enjoyable for a season, but it results in death. I'm not here. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope God spoke to you personally through this message and continues to encourage you throughout the coming weeks.